Hello and welcome. I'm Ang Harrod Wynne-Jones and this is Skin in the Game, the Dance Massive podcast. This festival, we've invited some of the choreographers presenting their works in Dance Massive to interview each other. Some of the topics they'll be discussing are what's at stake in their performances for artists, for audiences. Can dance be political? Should it be? What's at risk when you've got your skin in the game? I'm Liz Dunn and I'm working on a project called E.ON which is being presented at uh, through Arts House uh, in Royal Park and been developing it over the last year and a half with um, a group of collaborating artists, I should say sound artist, composer Lawrence English, uh, Shian Law who's a choreographer and Lara Toms who is dramaturg but we're all yeah co-creators around the, the form and concept and as we've been developing it in different locations, um, it's a very site-responsive project. Um, we work with a group of local artists. It is really a, a walking piece and uh, it utilises movement, um, I guess from a base of walking, uh, as a mode for um, people to assemble in public space and um, move as individuals and as part of a group. Uh, there's an idea, sure, of what might happen, but without um, kind of a fixed outcome of, or, of what that might look like. I'm Martin Hansen and my piece is called If It's All In My Veins. The performers and collaborators are Georgia Bettens, uh, Michelle Ferris and Helen Skye. We're designed done by Amelia Davidson and Nick Pajanti and other collaborators, um, Kobe Olga and Romani Harper. My work, I mean, it really takes place in the theatre. It's um, like really not an outside piece. It's looking at a particular history, a very dominant kind of history that kind of constitutes the theatre and what we kind of refer to as contemporary dance, the kind of so-called canon or the archive, and maybe also trying to challenge that a little bit, finding some ways to reframe it using some kind of simple choreographic strategies. It's quite persistent. When you were just talking then about the kind of canon and I was thinking about kind of the links between that and perhaps this sort of queer ecology mm. that I've been looking at for Eon, through Eon, and, yeah, that there's this sort of frame, I suppose, of histories or, like, the hierarchies, I guess, that get constructed through dominant perspectives of, on histories um, happens in dance as well. Queer ecology, it's maybe looking through sciences and environmental sciences and you know, not in isolation but in the way that those particularly have framed the ideas that have come to dominate in the, those fields has framed how we understand biology and sexuality and nature and in the mm-hmm. same way in how we come to understand dance and what is right and wrong in dance or what is... What is visible and what is invisible, like where voices come from and, um, um, and, and which voices were silenced in order to produce those voices. So in my piece, um, if it's all in my veins, I use GIFs and I've made GIFs of kind of canonical moments or so-called canonical moments of, of dance history. Um, why did I do that? Well, for a few reasons, because I am trying to exercise a question or a concern which is, you know, the past or history quite simply is not like a solid, immutable thing, but rather something that's constantly being rewritten and oftentimes, according to forces of the present, the past is a kind of battleground that has kind of real-world consequences. 
So I was trying to find a way that I could reformulate what we refer to as dance history, and the GIF was is really perfect, um, I thought, because it's something that we kind of all know. It's part of internet culture, um, which we're all a part of, or post-internet culture, so-called, and it reformulates visual material. And the dance canon is most often um, disseminated in terms of visual material. You watch videos of work. And so using this frame of a GIF, I could take a particular moment in history, which, I mean, I actually think GIFs are kind of over. I think they kind of had their moment, but they did have a moment. So it's using this frame that speaks to a very particular time to reformulate a 100 years before it. And so I was kind of interested in that compression or that dynamic kind of non-linear associative thing. And it has this thing, I mean, GIFs are very short, and so I have had to find the kind of, the, the tiniest gesture of these, of these figures. So kind of reducing them as icons into like the tiniest expression and then looping it. And then what we do is we re-embody the GIF on stage. Not necessarily, or not at all, what this particular person contributed to what we call contemporary dance, but this tiny gif of them doing a small movement, and that's the basis of the choreography. So we reformulate history like that. I think that's that. We feels like there's this point that's happening, or this um, response to internet culture that is bodily, or something, where people are kind of looking again at the body, or something as the as the site of the history, or, yeah. or the the non-history unfolding of something just talking about the existing horizons I suppose and like existing in um, states where the horizon is in flux um, and categorization and language and desire or compulsion to categorize things to understand them in certain ways that um, they can fix meaning to. Reminded me of a conversation we had with another artist about language and dance particularly and um, frustration that people often express about not getting dance mm. and they can f- get really like it, it, it can really <laughs> it can be intense. yeah the frustration that it brings out in people I think because it can be very difficult to <laughs> ascribe language to dance that feels yeah. adequate or something to yeah. understand it. and when people are watching it and maybe can't um, locate the language for it in their brains then it people get anxious or scared about things that they can't ascribe yeah. meaning to well it's an unpleasant space to to sit in especially like like you say given all of our habits of kind of producing meaning and fixing relations between things and what you were saying before about how within queer theory there's this idea of a constantly shifting fluid horizon and kind of finding strategies to to sit comfortably in that space. I find that idea like really quite wonderful and like but at the same time I would also say that it is what we we are experiencing now, but the reasons that we're experiencing that, which I think is much more to do with the economic structures under which we work, unfortunately kind of really like disallows maybe those revolutionary promises or like ideas, optimistic claims that queer theory has proposed. But I think thinking in this way is probably like I think it's really important, especially now, so that we, I don't know, can find yeah, ways of being together that maybe propose something else. I don't know, so that this kind of project horizon thing, this constantly fluid 
state that we find ourselves in in terms of stability, longevity and all of these things that we think we need can be really optimised as like an optimistic kind of community engendering condition. This podcast was produced by Kat McGoran and Arts House. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Now you've heard the interviews, come and see the shows. Put your skin in the game. Dance Massive is supported by Creative Victoria and the Australian Government's Ministry for the Arts. The Delegate Program of Dance Massive is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts.